It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show. This is the week right before we go into a very early Thanksgiving, and I want to thank you for joining us here on the Money Guy Show. If you want to go check out our website, that's money-guy.com, and I am your host, Brian Preston. By day, I'm a fee-only financial planner, and I'm glad you've joined me because we're going to help you make the best financial decisions with your money. As I always say, we're going to restore order to your financial chaos, and we're going beyond common sense. And what we're talking about today is we're kind of coming back to something I talked about actually in last week's show. And and I think it's that important because there was an article that came out in the the investment news that I get as an advisor. You can go buy the investment news as well, but it's primarily a trade magazine that comes out to financial advisors. There was an article in the November 5th through 9th um, issue that talked about capital gains looming once again for most investors. And I thought that was very Um, a good topic to go and talk about this since I did talk about it last week, and it is going to be something that can dramatically impact your 2007 taxes. And I think I can't repeat it enough that you need to pay attention to these taxes because I often say the two big things that do impact your performance, especially in your taxable accounts, are the fees that you're paying to other people and the taxes that you're paying. So you need to be very thoughtful and concerned about how much you're paying to uncle out there so that's what we're going to talk about this article also have an article on um on on mortgages i've gotten quite a few emails from listeners saying hey give us some guidance on uh, on mortgages we know that we have this whole big um fallout with the housing market getting beaten up out there and we hear about all these subprime mortgages and and arms and adjustable rates versus fixed rates give us an idea on how to handle um, the whole financing of a home. And I've got a, a great article that I found out there on Smart Money that's going to go into the six different types of people. They kind of, one of the things I think is really good an educational tool is to use illustrations of different scenarios that people might be in. And that's exactly what this article focuses on. So I think it's an important thing. And then probably during the last segment, I've got an article on, um, there, there was a USA Today article on retire early. There's a lot of advisors out there pitching that you that a lot of baby boomers can retire early with the, the savings they have and how you really need to be careful that some of these people might be snakes that are that are trying to lure you into so, some fi- bad financial advice. So we're going to be talking about that probably in the last segment. And then I'm also going to try to fit in there, hopefully on this first segment, I got an email from um, one of my younger listeners. He's 25, named John. Didn't really tell me where he lives, I don't think, in this in this email that he sent me. But I want to give him some kudos for how much he sa- has saved at this point in his life, but also give him some advice uh, on some of the questions he asked me, because I think it could benefit quite a few of you out there listening since I've gotten some emails on this. So let's talk about first this whole capital gains distribution that's coming um, in the next month or so. And I've actually, I, one of the, the alternative strategy funds I use, the Hussman Strategic Growth, uh, actually had a distribution this past week. So and it was quite dramatic. I think it was about 7% of net asset value, meaning uh, what cost per share, they had a capital gain dividend distribution that was 7% of what a cost of one share. So that's a 7% distribution, meaning you own $100,000 of this fund, you've got a $7,000 distribution. So you need to pay attention to this stuff because it is taxable if you hold this stuff in a taxable account. If you hear me, 
you know, I still have a little, you know, the runny nose issue because down here in the south, our weather has been crazy for the last few weeks. Just yesterday, now I record the show a little earlier than you're listening to it on Monday, but um, it was 70 degrees outside. And then today I wake up and it's like 37 degrees and the wind's blowing at 30 miles per hour. It is crazy. So whenever you have these changing weather patterns like we have down here in the south where you can be in shorts one day and then you have to bundle up in sweaters the next day, it just draw just wreaks havoc on my sinus system and I get these runny noses I get these stuffed up heads Uh, one day I sound like Barry White um, with my deep deep voice because of everything that's going on with my sinuses and then the other day you know and then later I can't even talk because uh, of everything that's going on so bear with me if you hear me sniffle a little bit or anything like that the good news is I'm not on that cold medication that keeps me from being able to read and have the energy that I that I feel like I at least try to put out in these shows. So so bear with me through some of that that craziness as we're dealing with these seasonal changes here. But getting on to the topic here of what you came here, personal financial advice, these capital gains that are looming, the article starts off by saying mutual fund investors will learn the hard way at the end of this year that you can never keep the tax man away for that long. And it talks about shareholders in some of the nation's most popular funds are going to be affected and affected dramatically. Listen to some of these things that they're about to talk about. Big names such as the the $45 billion Fidelity Magellan Fund, the $19.2 billion Leg Mason Value Trust Fund, and the $54 million Vanguard Windsor II Fund, and the $26 billion, I said, if I've said million, I meant billion on every one of these, so bear with me, $26 billion American Fund Small Cap World Fund are all expected to make distributions exceeding 10% of their net asset value. So, like I said, if you've got $100,000 in any one of these big funds, huge funds that I just just mentioned, you were going to get a $10,000 distribution. So you can see how this can add up dramatically if you have this money in taxable accounts. And these taxable distributions are expected to be the largest since really 2000, which is if you're going back in your history, going back through your head, that's back when we had the tech bubble. And in that year, in 2000, the distributions totaled $31.3 billion that year. Now, um, there's a research group, uh, Lipper Incorporated of New York. They're actually doing some research on this, and they've come out, and they their their numbers are saying that they're expecting it to be around twenty four billion dollars this year. But there's a lot of people out there in the industry who are saying that number's just too low, and the reason that number's too low is because and. Let's face it, the last two weeks have shown this as well. There's been a lot of volatility, extreme market volatility out there with one day the market's up 200 points, the next day it's down 250 points, you know, and then it goes down 150 points three days in a row. These type of things wreak havoc on portfolios, and a lot of managers will do a lot more trading when there's this much volatility because remember, every time you do a, a, a sell or redeem a mutual fund, say there's some skittish people out there that aren't, paying attention to the money guy show and out there selling at the worst inopportune times or, or, you know, they're, or they're 65 thinking about retiring and they're buying in at the worst times, you know, in some of these technology and, and aggressive funds or anything else out there. These type of things cause havoc to the managers because they either have a lot of cash come in by people who are all excited about investing and getting on the good times, or you have people who are getting scared at the last minute and pulling money out. And when they do that, it wreaks havoc on these these managers that have to go in and buy and sell these portfolios, and that leads to more trading, leading to, hence, more capital gain and dividend distributions because every time they sell, 
If they've got a gain in that position, it is a taxable event that then gets passed down to the the owners of those mutual funds. Um, T. Rowe Price, a lot of you are familiar with T. Rowe Price. They're out of Baltimore. Um, Their distributions are expected to be up to 40% from what was distributed out last year. That's that's an increase of 40%. And their average, if you can listen to this, their average of all their funds is going to equal somewhere around 5.3% of net asset value. Six of their funds, and they didn't name the six funds in this article, but six of their funds are actually expected to make distributions equal to 10% of net asset value. So they're going to have some big stuff out there. Vanguard Group, I've already mentioned the Windsor 2 fund. Um, I mentioned that in the opening paragraph, but they've got several funds that Windsor 2, which is um, rather large, the Vanguard Strategic Equity Fund, and the Vanguard International Explorer Fund, all of these funds, all these Vanguard funds, which are just benchmarks for being low-cost investment options, are all going to have distributions that are equal or be greater than 10%. So this stuff can be very dramatic to your portfolio. You need to go look at it. Um, And this is another reason any of you guys sitting out there on large sums of cash And you're writing me saying, hey, should I go out there and buy some of these index funds that you're always talking about? Or should I go into, you need to go find out when these funds are going to distribute some of this cash. Because if you bought in right now, all you're doing is buying yourself into a tax situation. So you don't want to be buying a lot of different mutual funds right now at the end of the year without making sure that that mutual fund company has already distributed this stuff because you buy in now, you don't even enjoy the appreciation that brought you these distributions. You just go pay the taxes on it, and that's not what you want to do. Now, there are a lot of mutual funds that get nervous when they have these big distribution years that they're going to, they send out threatening emails and other things just saying, hey, do not sell just because you're trying to avoid the taxes. They hate it when advisors do that stuff because, I, I mean, if, I will go ahead and tell you as an advisor, if I've got a, a position in that fund – and that client doesn't have a, a, a large gain, a, a gain over 10%, say, you might consider going ahead and, and, and selling out of that fund, uh, especially if they have a loss, so you can harvest those losses to go up against all the other gains that the other portfolios are, are paying out. You can harvest those losses, sell them, and then go buy an exchange-traded fund because exchange-traded funds don't have some of these tax issues. They don't hold gains in like mutual fund companies do. So, This is something you might want to take into account as you're trying to figure out what to do here year-end. Now, I did get an email, as I've already teased you guys, from one of my listeners named John, and I'm not going to give his last name, but um, this is what his email said to me, and he wrote this to me um, just this past Monday. He says, Brian, thank you for all the great financial wisdom and being such a great person to share honest advice. I'm 25 years of age and hope to be a client of yours in the near future. Love to hear that stuff, John. That makes me feel good about what we're doing here. It says, I've been saving in hopes of achieving your investment minimum and currently have just over, now listen to this, I have currently just over $100,000 in money markets. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, when I was 25 years of age, did not have $100,000 saved up. And I know a lot of you guys, you, you know, I do the show. And I really do practice what I preach. I do save the the 20% of my gross wages. I've got enough insurance that if I fall off the planet tomorrow, my wife can go party, go marry two or three other guys after me, and she will be perfectly fine, and and my child will be taken care of. But 
So I'm doing everything I can to be to be to be a good leader and, and a good example for you guys. But I will go ahead and tell you, when I was 25 years of age, did not have a hundred thousand dollars. And I don't think many 25 year olds do have a hundred thousand dollars. So John is doing something remarkable by having that much money saved right now, and he's going to be loaded at some point. So um, let me continue on what he wrote. He said, "I have heard you speak highly about the Fidelity 500 index that charges 0.08 percent for hundred thousand dollar sums, and wondered if." This would be a good place to put my money until I can acquire your services, or would you rather recommend a total index fund like the FFNOX? And that's the Fidelity Form 1 Index is what that symbol he listed. I also read recently on Morningstar, now listen to this, that they are forecasting the S&P 500 to average near 14% for the next three years. I'm not sure how credible that is, but if it beats my money market account by a few percent without too much risk, I'd be all for it. I'm sure you get bombarded with emails and operate a very business business. So thank you very much for your time and I hope to, to sit down with you soon. But I think that, first of all, John, that email, Morningstar, I haven't seen it. I would love for you to send me the link to that Morningstar article where they're talking about the market's going to be up 14% for the next three years. I find that highly unlikely with some of the things I see going on in the world as well as where we might be in this entire economic cycle um, it is a very, very luminous, uh, you know, very daunting thing to see the dollar at, as low as it is with gold and, and gas prices as high as they've been recently. It makes you concerned about inflation as well as some of the, the, the global issues going on with um, oil supplies as well as what's going on just geopolitically with some of our people over in the Middle East. It makes you wonder really how things are going to be over the next few years. So I would be very hesitant to put a lot, a big chunk of money like this that you're talking about. You're 25 years of age. You have $100,000 saved up. I got to think when you're 25 years of age with $100,000 saved up, you're probably going to want to buy the farm at some point soon. You're probably going to find somebody out there that's going to become a spouse. You might want to buy a house sometime in the future. And these are all things that you need to take into account. If you have goals that's going to require you to need this money in the next three to five years to buy a house, to buy a car, to do other things that you need as a 25-year-old going into your 30s and 40s, um, don't put that stuff out to work for you. You got only put to work for you money that you can let go of for a minimum of five to seven years. And right now I'd be looking at that seven year mark more than I would that five year mark since we might be in the mature part of this economic cycle. So pay, pay special attention to how long you can put that money away. If you can't let go of that money for that five to seven years, Keep it safe. Go with the money markets. Go look at like the Immigrant Directs and other of uh, the Internet banking sites. Now, I want to give you some advice on that real quick, and I'm trying to fit it in because I've got a commercial break coming up in about a minute, is that when you do these Internet banks, make sure they're FDIC insured. That means they have federal insurance. But remember these thresholds. You can only do $100,000 in individual accounts, $200,000 in joint accounts. That's what the FDIC insurance, the federal insurance, will protect you. Anything above and beyond those numbers, stay away from the Internet companies because we saw NetBank went out in September. No big deal. ING came in and picked up the assets, but any investors out there who had assets over those federal insurance numbers are probably going to be out half of their money. So you need to be careful, pay attention, but also don't lose out on opportunities. So I hope that helps out, John. We've got to go to a hard commercial break here. Um, when I come back, I'm hopefully going to give people like John, who might be young, thinking about buying houses now that we're in this downturn, some advice when we come back. This is Brian with The Money Guy Show. We'll be right back. The Money Guy Preston here. If you enjoy the information that I share on The Money Guy Show, then you'll love my print newsletter, The Wealth Report. 
The Wealth Report is a quarterly newsletter that I send my wealth management clients and I'm making it available to you for the affordable price of $29 a year. You can sign up at the Money Guy website. That's money-guy.com. This quarter's Wealth Report covers putting the summer stock sell-off in perspective, ranks of millionaires skyrocketing across the globe, the most common mistakes that retirees make, and how you can avoid them. What else should be in your will? And choosing an estate planning attorney. All this great information is packed into the fourth quarter wealth report. So what do you have to lose? You probably spend more than $29 on lunch this week. So take me up on this incredible offer and sign up today at the Money Guy website. Once again, that's money-guy.com. Money-guy.com. Sign up now. Money-guy.com. Okay, and we're back for the second segment of the Money Guy Show. And remember, here on the Money Guy Show, we're always trying to go beyond common sense. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of a lot of talk radio hosts out there in this financial genre that will be talking about, you know, pay down the debts. And I'm okay. Everybody should be paying down debts. If you can't live below your means, meaning you spend less than you make, you're never going to be financially independent. So that's common sense. We're going beyond that, and we're actually going to help you make even the best decisions and the, to help you keep more money in your pocket and do everything you can to put you at that point in your life where you don't have to work anymore. You don't have to do anything except for go and make sure that you're doing everything you can to maximize your potential. So we're going to, you know, what we talked about before the break was we talked about how there's going to be a lot of capital gain distribution, so you need to be careful. And now leading into the second segment, we're going to be talking about mortgages. A lot of you are probably out there, if you if you have a home already, <laughs> truthfully, the best advice right now might be just sit pat because um, you don't want to be trying to sell a house in this marketplace uh, because it, it's it's not exactly a seller's market. It's more of a buyer's market. So I'm hoping this 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 segment is really focusing on the people who are out there who might have been thinking about buying a house they've been renting or maybe they're younger and they um you know have gotten married and have decided hey we've got a, we got a family we're thinking about starting in the next few years let's go ahead and buy a house cuz this is a buyer's market right now and um I know especially down here in the southeast um you can get really nice houses for a lot less expensive than you could even a year year and a half ago a lot of you might know uh, I've mentioned it in the past that I'm on the local board of education. Now, when you think of board of education, you're probably thinking this is just a small little sleepy community, but we actually are the seventh biggest school school system in the state of Georgia. We have 40,000 students that we service, and we build a lot of schools because we're a fast-growing community, one of the, the top five in the entire country. And one of the things that when we build schools, I always pay attention to what the building costs are because I think it's a barometer for really how the economy is going. And let me tell you this about the housing marketplace is that an elementary school in the past has cost us about $14 million to build. We just got a bid on a brand new elementary school that we're going to start next year, and the bid came in, and this is all public record, so I'm not exactly giving you guys anything that you couldn't go find if you went and dug a little bit. We're going to be able to build it for um, about $11.5 million. So the exact same school, because we use what's called a prototype system where we build a lot of the exact same schools. We'll make a few modifications. But you can see just the downturn in the economy and the, the housing market especially, we, we used to have to go beg people to bid on schools that we wanted to build. Now, since you know the housing and the construction industry is 
really in the can. Everybody and their brother is out there cutting their heads off just trying to get the work from us. So the costs have gone down significantly. And I think that that also shows on the residential side. You can get some really good deals out there on a new home purchase. And this is something you might want to consider. So Smart Money Magazine published an article, and this was done back in the second quarter of this year. So it's a few months older. So some of the stuff... Um, you know, it's not that old, but it, it is a few months old that, you know, some of the interest rate data that they mentioned might be a little off. But I think what they did was just genius because, as I mentioned in the first segment, a lot of people learn very well through illustrations. And that's exactly what this does because what they've done is they've created profiles of six common morg- mortgage shoppers. Um, and they go from someone who is temporarily cash poor to someone who's really in search of that jumbo mortgage that might be more than $417,000, meaning they're Financing $417,000 means they're probably putting down a 20% on top of that $417,000. So that's a pretty big house out there in, in the world of houses. So everybody's situation, of course, is a little different, but this article really has tried to, to, to get a picture of what a lot of you might be experiencing. And you can kind of listen, see if any of this hits you, and, and then get some good advice from it. The first segment they talk about in the example is the homesteader. You just found a home in a nice neighborhood, and you plan to stay there until your young kids are through high school, or maybe you're 65 years of age, and you're buying your your retirement home, the home you're going to settle down in. In either case, you know you're not moving anytime soon, at least for a decade or so. So what you might want to consider and what you want is, no doubt about it, a fixed mortgage. You're the perfect type of person that probably needs that traditional 30- or 15-year mortgage that that many of us know, know that back in the old days, that's all that was really available. But now there's a lot more products out there. But you still, if you know you're going to be in that house for at least a decade, with where where interest rates are right now, you're probably still going to want to go with the fixed interest rate, the 15 or 30 year. The, the decision you want to make when you're looking at that 15 to 30 year is really how much of a discount you're getting on the interest rate. Um, because there should be some type of spread between what the 30-year rate is versus the 15. The 15 should be a, a good bit cheaper because you can pay down a 30-year just as fast as a 15 um, because they don't have most mortgages out there these days don't have prepayment penalties. You just have to be disciplined um, to do that. So make sure that, you, that you're paying attention to what those rates are. I, I like 15-year mortgages if you know your cash flow is going to be steady. I will tell you, if I, I was on a 15-year mortgage in my last house, took me over a year to sell that last house, and um, I carried a house, two house payments, um, my new house as well as the old house, for, for about two or three months, and I loved when I was on that 15-year mortgage while I only had one house because I loved every time I looked at that monthly statement um, how fast I was paying that thing down, but then when I was carrying two house notes at the same time, I got to tell you, make you make you grimace a little bit when you saw you know that you didn't have any flexibility when cash was tight especially around the holidays like we're coming into christmas Man, I tell you, Christmas gifts are a little tight when you're carrying two mortgages. So I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Where to shop if you're that homesteader that's going to be in the house for 10 years? You might want to consider, what they talked about in the article is you might want to go what's called a mortgage banker. That's a person that sells directly to the consumer. And that's like countrywide home loans or or somebody like that. Um, They're not packaging their products up for sale to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. They're actually servicing the loan themselves. I disagree. Now, I'm going to go tell you, this is where I do differ a little bit from the article, is they they kind of talk bad a little bit about mortgage brokers in this article. And I will tell you, shopping for a mortgage is almost like buying a car when you're dealing with mortgage brokers, is that they will, you know, unless you 
are really savvy at what you're doing, you're right. It, I mean, the article is right that they can take you for a ride and you might not get the best deal. But if you do have like an advisor or you're savvy enough, you know how to beat the best deals out of people. And that's probably a lot of you out there since you are listening and taking a proactive approach to either listening to, to my talk radio show on Business Radio 1160 or going out to, to iTunes and downloading this show, you're probably proactive and can beat people up. So if you are if you are that type of person, you can do fine. I like mortgage brokers because they have a broad range of products to look at. And I, I deal with two or three different brokers, and that way I can keep them all honest. I bounce them off of each other, just like when I shop for cars. You know, it's nice to bounce prices off of each other so you can keep people to give you the drop-dead bottom price that they can deal with. Deal with. So... That's something, you know, the article will talk about mortgage bankers, it's going to talk about your local bank, and it's going to talk about mortgage brokers separately. And I think a lot of times you can, if you can find a really good mortgage broker, he can do everything that all these are talking about. I bought my last loan through a mortgage broker, and I ended up with Countrywide because they usually sell out the loans very quickly. Um, so that's just my little editorializing of, of, of this article. The relocator, that's the next group. That's um, You're never going to spend more than a few years in the house. Maybe your spouse has a thing about moving. Maybe you know you'll eventually need space to work from home. Maybe you're planning on, on hightailing it to Montana in a few years. In any case, you know you're not going to stay in this house for very long. So well, these type of people probably want to consider one of the ARM products. That's the 3-1 the ARMS, the 5-1 ARMS, and the 7-1 ARMS. And when I talk about ARMS, what I'm talking about is, is that, especially like a 5-year ARM, when I, when I talk about a 5-year ARM, that means the interest rate stays locked for that five-year period, and then it goes to an adjustable rate after that five-year lock period. So when you see a 3-1 three, three arm, that means it's locked for three years, and then it goes adjustable. Five five years, it's fixed, and then it goes adjustable. And then a seven-year locks for seven and gets adjusted. Very simple to understand. And there's also new hybrid products out there where you can pay a premium on the interest rate, a little higher rate when I say premium is what I'm talking about, where you can actually, as long as you do it before your, your fixed term expires, you can convert it to a fixed product. So these things are out there. Um, you, you just have to figure out how long you think you're going to live at the house and look at where interest rates are right now. Um, where to shop? They talk about in this article mid-sized banks and thrifts, which typically hold on to the loans they write, meaning they don't assign them out. Um, it says that they are the most, the mid-sized banks and thrifts are the most aggressive players in the adjustable rate marketplace. Okay, the next um, type of, of home buyer they talked about is the trader-upper. And this is the house you love comes with a very hefty price tag. One that will, uh, tongue twister, one that will require a mortgage of more than $417,000. And you know you qualify for the loan and you've got a sizable down payment. So with this type of person, you know you have to go get what's called a jumbo loan. And in the past, jumbo loans were scary because mortgage lenders knew that if you defaulted on that loan, that was really like them losing three or four normal size loans because yours was jumbo. But the market has really changed a lot recently where it's not as hard to get jumbo loans. They mentioned here, if you go deal with jumbo loans, you probably want to go look at those at large banks um, have traditionally been the big lenders of, of jumbo loans. And they do have interest rates that are a little bit higher than what you might be at seeing, seeing advertised out there in the marketplace. Um, the next category is the temporary cash poor purchaser. These are people who found a great house, 
but qualifying for a big enough loan is a problem for the time being. Maybe they're in the second year at a district attorney's office with a handful of offers to double their income at a private practice firm. Maybe you're about to finish paying your son's Harvard tuition. In either case, you know your disposable income is about to jump, and it's about to jump sub- substantially. So these are you're, the person you probably the, the product you probably want to look at is um, a buy down type loan. And this is where you pay an additional point or two up front because, remember, when you pay points, um, when you buy a brand-new residence or, or, or instead of refinancing, when you're buying a new loan, you can deduct these points on your taxes. So that, that can be beneficial, but you buy these points down to where they, they the interest rate's lower for maybe a year or two, and, and then it pops back up. But that shouldn't be that big of a deal because you have more income when that year or two is up because you're in a temporary small low cash position um, these are it says where to shop for these buy down type positions are most commonly found at mortgage bankers remember that's um that's what I mentioned when I was talking about countrywide those are the direct um, mortgage bankers that are out there the other the last category it talks about is the high earner and the poor saver these are people who've got a great job and they found a house they adore, but they've been buried under student loans or they've been traveling the globe without a care and haven't been able to save for a down payment. Um, these people are saying, you know, you probably would not be able to find 100% financing in the past. Now it is easier to come by. I will say this is where I think the article might be a little older. I think 100% financing is getting very hard to come by. And when they talk about 100% financing, they're, probably, they're usually talking about what's called piggyback loans, where you do a traditional 80% loan and then you do a 20% um, piggyback loan um, that allows you to qualify for this type of financing. And, and they do mention in the article, because this is going to have you buying several different types of products, because the um, 20% loan is going to usually be an, a variable type product, and I've seen a lot of them based on prime. And then you're going to do the 80%, and you, you know, depending upon how long you're going to stay in the house, you'll either do an arm, or if you're going to stay there over a decade because you found your house of your dreams, you're probably going to do a fixed product. And they do think that the best place to go shop for these type of products is through your mortgage mortgage broker. So these are all things that you can think about. Um, I will tell you, as you know, the mortgage industry, just like the home building industry, as well as everything else, I'll tell you down here in the Southeast, um, just this past week, Pike Nurseries um, filed bankruptcy. And that's a hard hit for a lot of people down here in the South because, I mean, a lot of us have fond memories of going to the nursery to buy plants. And Pike Nurseries were everywhere. It was a family business, family-owned business that were all over the Southeast down here. And they're being killed by the the huge drought we have. So they're another casualty of not only the drought, but what's going on in the housing marketplace. And, And it's probably not a bad time if you are, you know, thinking about buying a house, as long as you don't have a big house to sell, um, it's not a bad time to go out there and look. I do have, before we go into the last segment, we're, we're going to be talking about be careful of some of the early retirement pitches that are being pushed out there by some brokers. I, I had somebody who subscribed for the Wealth Report newsletter that I cannot track down. You know, when you go on and pay the PayPal, you'll usually, the way it works is after you subscribe to the Wealth Report newsletter and pay your $29, you pay for it on PayPal, and then I send you an email asking you for your mailing address. No big deal because, you know, PayPal makes you put a valid email address in there. The, um, the only problem is that I had somebody named Kevin, and I don't want to give Kevin's last name, but let's just say the first part of his BlackBerry um, email had, had baby Kevin. I, he subscribed, but he did not give me a valid email address on the PayPal, so I have not been able to fulfill his order. 
and I feel awful because I, I, hopefully a lot of you listening know that I take it very serious, that I want to make sure that you're happy listeners. And if you do take the time and energy to sign up for the Wealth Report newsletter, I'm, I, I want to fulfill that order. And um, it bothers me when somebody signs up and I can't get, the, get it out to them. So if, if Kevin, if you're listening, um, please forward me your mailing address and let me know you're the one. Um, I've got the information from the first email sitting right here, so I'll know that it's you. Um, you might even can forward me the receipt. But we'll be right back after this break to talk about retirement. Bye. Brian Preston, one half of Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. I'm now a fee-only planner. I didn't like the whole conflict of interest that was out there with commissions. If you found out how profitable life insurance was to sell, everybody started looking like they needed life insurance. So I just took that out of the equation and got into focusing on what I was good at, which was the consulting side of giving advice, helping people learn how to make money, and that way the client doesn't feel like they're worried about me selling them products. It allows me to really build trust because I have what's also called a fiduciary responsibility and obligation to put the client's best interest even ahead of my own. What I think is the most important part of my job educating the client. The great thing about if you're a good fee-only financial planner, you don't have to sell anybody anything. If you can educate the client, it goes much further than ever trying to sell them products. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management, fee-only financial and investment advisors. Visit Preston-Cleveland.com. That's Preston-Cleveland.com. Back for the last segment of the Money Guys show, and what we're going to be talking about today is that there are a lot of baby boomers that are about to retire. And with that mass of people retiring, there's a lot of um, financial people that are licking their chops because they see a tr- just a huge opportunity. You cannot go to a financial planning conference without everybody talking about the mass, the huge masses of baby boomers that are about to retire. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of people, as I've talked about in, in, in my, my previous shows on the way my industry is made up. There's a lot of people that see the dollar signs and think, hey, how can I get there as fast as possible? You know, they want to rocket into wealth doing financial planning. And a lot of times that leads them into selling products that might not be in the best interest of the clients. Whereas there's a whole nother group of advisors that I hope that, you know, if you do ever need to hire somebody, you're not doing it on your own. You don't feel capable of doing it on your own. When you do hire an advisor, you've got to find somebody who has a, a consistent philosophy, somebody who's not out there just bragging about how great their performance is. That's the biggest indicator when, when I see people bragging about how great their performance is or they mention the word guaranteed. Be very scary. Be very fearful of what this advisor ultimate goal with you is because it's usually somebody who's a little green behind the ears or maybe doesn't have your best interest at mind when they start talking about performance because anybody who's been around this industry for a long time realizes that anybody can make money when the market's up. A really good advisor is going to earn their keep when the market gets ugly because that's when people's portfolios get just sunk when you're not doing the prudent things of diversifying and, and making the right decisions for your clients. So what we're going to be talking about in this segment is there's a pitch out there from a, a lot of these advisors, and everybody wants to hear this stuff, is that you can retire early. And this is from the USA Today, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll link it to it from my website. Just go to money-guy.com, and I'll, and I'll provide the link for you. And it, but it says be careful because there is a catch. These, a lot of these people offering these retire early pitches aren't exactly being up front with you. They, they, there's an ulterior motive uh, of money in there might be on the, the shady side. And then I'm going to, after I give you the pitch and give you the story of some of these individuals, I'm going to tell you some of the reality of some of these situations and what to listen for, what to look for, to tell if somebody's doing the right thing for you. First, 
Let's talk about some of these situations. This article, like I said, was done by Kathy Chu from USA Today. And um, it came out, do I have the uh, the date on this? I think it came out pretty recently. It was um, it was early November. But anyhow, Kathy put the, this article together. And um, the first example is, uh, is a gentleman in Huma, Louisiana. And after 30 years of tolling in the oil fields, Ray was told in 1997 that he could retire at 52 and buy a camper that him and his wife could travel across the USA. That was always their goal was to retire and, you know, start seeing the country in a camper. Um, his, his, his advice, he got some advice. He considered trusted advice because it came from an investment broker used by other Chevron workers. So this gentleman, Ray, worked for Chevron for many years, and that's where he turned over his retirement savings. And at the time, he, had, he turned over $335,000 to this advisor for the broker to match. And, the, and then he went out and bought a camper, and he bought a brand-new truck. This is starting to not sound good. And then he borrowed against nearly a, a, a paid-off house to pay off it. He went out and got a loan on the house and paid off his credit cards as well as the loans on this camper and this truck. So he, he turns over 335000 and then goes out and borrows money to pay for the camper and the, and the car. That's, that's not great advice right there. Um, and here's the quote from, from, from Ray. It says, he showed me this projection that I'd have $1.3 million in 10 years. And this was at the time, you know, he was 52 years of age. He's 63 now. And he, um, he said that, you know, and he said that, I guess I think I can retire. A million dollars seems like plenty. He only had 335000 but when you got an advisor saying, hey, give me 10 years, I'm going to turn this into $1.3 million dollars. I guess he started thinking, man, this is the right type of deal for me. But unfortunately, retirement didn't last long for Ray. Um, his nest egg shrank to $43,000 over eight years as his por- portfolio concentrated in fairly risky stocks plunged. The broker, he says, still guaranteed returns of 15%. Did you hear that word guaranteed? You should run from people who use the word guaranteed. Um, 15% said the market would rebound. About five years ago, Ray and his wife were forced back to work into jobs paying a fraction of what they used to earn. I'm going to give you one more example, and then I'm going to go into what you can do to keep protect yourself from this same situation. There was another gentleman in need of advice. His name was Rusty, and Rusty was also a Chevron employee, and he worked at Chevron for 24 years. And he was not savvy at all when it came to investments, and that's why he sought advice with his million-dollar 401k and pension assets that he'd built up. So that's a that's a pretty decent sum of assets to save up. A million dollars is what a lot of us have in our head is the the carrot and the the pie in the sky that if we hit that number we can pick up our marbles and go home. So and he, through coworkers, you know, R- Rusty had gone out and was introduced to Dominic Musso, a broker at Morgan Stanley. He says the broker won his trust by playing golf with him, asking about his wife and daughters and talking about his own family. And then what really got Rusty is he told me flat out, I can make you, Dominic told him, I can make you 15% a year. You'll never touch your principal for the rest of your life. You're set. Rusty says that Musso told him to cash out his pension because he could earn more in the stock market than from his guaranteed stream of pension income. The lure of spending more time with his family in retirement led Rusty, age 51, to take the advice. He began withdrawing $85,000 a year, which was about 8.5% of his total portfolio value. After the tech bubble burst and the roaring stock market tanked in 2000, Dominique urged him to stay in the market. 
saying you've got to be in a position for when the market goes up as his portfolio shrank to about one-third of its original value. Rusty took what remained of his money to another advisor. So this is the problem I have with this whole thing is that, first of all, Rusty had a million-dollar portfolio, which is a nice, nice nest egg. But what I'm troubled about that, I wonder how much of that million-dollar nest egg was the pension because most good advisors are not going to tell you to cash in a pension to go put it out in the stock market because pensions they're they're like a, they're a dying breed. You just don't see a lot of pensions out there. Now I will say there's an exception to this. I've seen um I've seen people pilots say down here in the in the southeast Delta is a big company, and the way it used to work at Delta before they went through bankruptcy and everything else is that that, that you could take. Um, a pension, but then you could also take half of the money from the pension. So it was not uncommon to see a Delta pilot who had a number of years, they could take a million-dollar lump sum out of the pension, but still get a six-figure pension paid by Delta. Um, That's part of what's gotten them into financial trouble is paying out large sums like that. And you can understand how that's not bad advice to tell somebody, hey, go take the million dollars just in case that pension fund ever goes under. You at least have your million dollars over here, but go ahead and take that six figures from them as well. And it was kind of a nice thing. But most people who work for the government um, and and other things, you should never really consider cashing in those pensions. A lot of them are are pretty good streams of payment that's going to sustain you through a lot of retirement. Um, I also don't like how a lot of these people – it seems like they went and took more debt on right before they were about to retire. That's not a good thing either. I'm trying to usually convince my retired clients or clients that are approaching retirement, we need to get rid of debt because you already have so much risk. You know, being out on your own is kind of a shocking moment for a lot of people when they hit retirement that now they're not working with their hands, they're not working with their back. Um, all that's really working for them is now their investments. You don't want to worry about how you're going to make that mortgage payment. You don't want to worry about people coming and taking your assets from you. So if everything's paid for, even if the market goes through a downturn like we might be approaching, you're okay. You've just got to cut back on what you're spending on food and some other things. You know, maybe you don't travel or play golf as much, but you don't have to worry about that mortgage you know, and somebody coming to take your house. So I think there's a lot of risk out there with retirement. So people who are getting close to to retirement age should probably pay down a lot of these debts. You don't need the stress of debt out there as you're approaching that scary time of retirement. So here's the pitch that you hear from a lot of these shady brokers, and here's the reality of some of the things. So these are the claims made by some of these individuals and what you need to listen for. The pitch, everyone can retire early. But here's the reality. Not everyone has the resources to do so. Early retirement is particularly risky for workers who haven't saved enough for, saved enough for decades of retirement and who have limited opportunities for other employment. Don't forget about unexpected health care costs. Because remember, most people, you've got your group health insurance. You retire early. You're on your own because your, Medicare doesn't kick in until you're 65 years of age. So health care can be very, very expensive to go out and get private insurance at that late of age, which can be, you know, in these health insurance costs and health care costs, can deplete your nest egg dramatically if you don't plan carefully. Another pitch that you might hear some of these shady guys tell you is that you can make as much money in retirement as you can continuing to work. Now, that's goofy. I mean, because if you've got good investments, they're working while you're working anyway. Truthfully, you make the decision to retire because you just don't want to work anymore. Don't make the decision because you think you can make more without working in retirement. That's just not the way it works. So the reality is such promises usually hinge on unrealistic high returns on investments and unsustainable large annual returns. Here's the other pitch that you might hear from some of these 
you can call them shady, you can call them green behind the ear, you can call them greedy, but you can expect annual returns of 12% or more. Anybody who offers you double-digit returns when you're close to retirement age, get the heck out of there because that's scary because any return over 10.4% exceeds historical long-term returns for the stock market, assuming all dividends were reinvested, and far exceeds the average long-term returns of less than 6% for more conservative investments such as bonds. So that's what I tell people. I just met with a retired individual this past week, a prospect, and um, the thing is is that they, you know, when they were asking me what to expect, I said, truthfully, you shouldn't count on your portfolio generating with the conser- as conservative as you're going to be, probably 6 to 9%. Now, sure, I'm hoping there's some 12, 13, 14% years in there, but those are year- usually really good years that offset those years that you might only make 1% or 2% or maybe even lose 2% in these years. The market is not a steady stream constantly. There's some ups and downs, and you're just counting on over time, that long-term 5 to 7 definitely over seven-year time frame that you can get somewhere between six to nine percent but that's not drawdown rates because here's the next thing is that the pitch that I I hear people say that I think is unrealistic is that you can withdraw nine percent of more of your money each year and never run out that's completely false unless you have substantial retirement assets withdrawing that much can quickly deplete your principal and cause you to outlive your retirement assets most respectable financial planners are going to tell you, really, you don't need to be drawing down more than 3 4 5% of your assets. So if you've got a million dollars, this is going to scare a lot of you, you really can't count on more than forty dollars to $50,000 a year from that portfolio. Uh, if you count on it being there for a, 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 a substantial period of time. And I know a lot of you think that that's crazy, but that really is, if you want to sustain that money, you don't want to be yanking out $100,000 a year from something that's a million dollars because you're going to run into a bad group of years like we had in 2000, 2001, 2002, and it's going to eat you alive those years that you're still yanking out that those large sums of money while the market's not replenishing that money with investment gains. You've got to, That's why you've got to have a low withdrawal rate and, and you need to save enough money so that that's not an issue. So that's why you've got to be careful at least if you wait to retire until you're 65 or so, you've got Social Security that kicks in. You've got Medicare costs that go help with the health care. So it cuts your living expenses down dramatically. And then you can, you know, with that 5% withdrawal rate, you'll be okay. But a lot of people, they, you know, they, they get around in their early 50s, they get a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank, and they start thinking, I've got enough. And I think you've got to be very careful of anybody who promises to pay you and, and reward you for that. Uh, you know, I would run, like I said, run from anybody who guarantees you money. It says, um, I will tell you the good news is that some of the regulatory bodies are starting to to look at these firms and everybody a lot more. It says two well-known firm, firms were among the first to face regulatory action. The FINRA has fined Citigroup and Ameriprise Financial Securities of America, saying the firms inadequately supervised brokers who urged employees to retire early with promises of unrealistic investment gains. So, you know, it, it goes it goes back to what I always talk about. Educate yourself. Educate, educate. Don't trust anybody. Don't even trust me unless you've gone out there, researched it, proved what has been said and what you've heard is correct um, because you've just got too much riding on these decisions. When you're talking about retirement, when you're talking about your financial life, you've got to go research and educate yourself to the point that you can build that trust to know that you're making the right decision. So hopefully today's show has helped you guys out. I'd love for you to join me again next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am your host for The Money Guy Show, 
Brian Pressing. Go check us out at the website money-guy.com. Until next week, see you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.